And you've heard me say it once, you've heard me say it many times. When I'm in trouble, I like to call people like Brother Donnie and say, Now, Brother Donnie, tell me how healed I am again. He's one of my faith buddies. I'm one of his faith buddies. And so let's give it up. Let's give God praise for the gift in Brother Donnie tonight. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for your kindness. You guys, Michelle, Sabrina, you, wow. I, I think about first time, not at camp, probably eight to ten years, that guy Reuben marries you and takes you away from camp. I've forgiven him. But um, to, totally take credit for what a blessing. What a blessing you guys are. It's nice to be here tonight. Thank you for coming out. And you guys, I tell you, thank you for sharing. It never, ever ever gets old. Uh, when I hear those testimonies, had a youth pastor call me last night and he said, Hey, Donnie, just want to tell you, he said, a young man came to your camp two weeks ago, an atheist. He said one night, he said, he came to the altar and realized there was a God. He went back to his room and he snuck out about two in the morning and he went out to the field and he sat there and he said, he looked up at the stars He said, literally, this kid with tears running down his face, 4.0, he said nobody could reach him, absolute atheist, never been to church in his life. He sat out there in the field looking at the stars. He said, in the wonder of God, the presence of God overcame him. And he said, his mind exploded with, you did create all this. You, you did create all this. And, and that kid, he, just last night, that's what the youth pastor called me. He was weeping on the phone. And I was just going... Man, God, it's so good. And to come here tonight and hear those testimonies. And I had 167 in two weeks of camp letters that the students wrote. And I have them on Thursday night if they'd like to write something that happened to them in camp that week. And, you know, I don't have to read a book about what's going on with youth. I just hang out with them. And uh, you do school assemblies and you sit there and they talk to you. And, and then I read every one of them, 167 cards. And And as I I read them, I just wept at God's goodness. If you could just read from my vantage point and you hear what God has done in these students' lives, it it just just absolutely ignites you. And um, I got to take them back to our players on the Oakland A's, and I read some of them to our players. And by the way, Josh Reddick hit five home runs in two days. He's wearing the exact shirt that you got on, but he cut the sleeves off it. He's been walking around. He's been walking around the locker room with no sleeves, flexing with his facing uh, giant shirt, Josh Reddick. And, you know, it's just crazy. So we got a lot of guys wearing those because we just got back from camp and we had a number of the players. Uh, I took Grant Belfar. We had vows the other night. We ate at vows. Took Grant there and his wife, his two little kids, and he never had a vows burger. And, and now he's even gotten meaner when he's out there pitching. And I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's possible. I'm t- Told him some of those words you're saying, put your glove up. So there's kids watching, but we're working on them. We're working on them. They came out and uh, a film team wanted to do uh, a story about, you know, the Oakland A's, I thought. And they got there and they were filming me walking around. I think, what are they following me for? Well, they put together this four minutes and I I want you to check it out. And uh, they call it the ambassador and hope it blesses you because, uh, when I saw it, I, I was just moved. I, I think 25 years now being over there with the A's and doing the visiting team, chapel, and also the umpires. Uh, it's been a long time, but it's also so rewarding to see what God does. 
um, in the lives. So check this out. I think we got it up there. I didn't realize how big my head is. Golly, I got a big melon. Dear God, it's just like, wow. I don't think you could get a hat there in the locker room to fit on this dome. But, um, you know, I, I think about the tremendous opportunities that the Lord has given us. And um, the Okanese have been gracious enough on this September the 7th. I hope you can come out. But uh, we're going to have our Faith and Family Day I don't know if you have that slide, but this is really cool. They have allowed us, after the game, uh, on the third base side, we do the Feast of Strength on the dugout, myself and our team. Uh, the guys that travel with me, Dean, Terry, you guys all from camp know our team, Darwin. And then the players come out and sit on the dugout. We had 3,000 people last year stay uh, after the game. And so this year... Uh, the Okanese, we've been talking to uh, some of the people in the front office, and we're, we're trying to next year, uh, if we can have enough, to get a Christian band there. And so we're, we're believing God this year that we're going to break 4,000. Um, and um, some of the things that we want to do is I want to help kids, especially in Oakland and also in Richmond and some of the areas. We've already got a, a couple of churches that are going to help with buses. And we'd like to... <laughs> get some of the kids that never been to a game and uh we're the a's are going to give us a discount and i'm going to ask the players to get involved as a matter of fact this tuesday and i want to be able to pay students ways that that students that would come to the game let them uh, have a little box lunch a hot dog and a soda and stay after the game and listen to the testimonies of these big league big league players and and their faith in jesus christ and so the players all know that, and as a result, uh, the A's, they're allowing us to uh, use the stadium. Whoever thought that 20 years ago that when I would go over there and minister to the players that one day that I used to, as a 12-year-old kid, I don't know why I'm so emotional tonight, but when I was 12 years old, that dugout right there, I used to go down and, and get um, the autographs of Campy Campaneris when I was 12 years old when we moved from Virginia right here to Hayward, and I'd go down to that dugout, and um, I'd reach across it and get those guys autographed that I'd be standing on it preaching the gospel. And so um, tonight, in, in its entirety, the offering is going to go to buy tickets so kids, that never, many of them have been to a baseball game, uh, we can get them at a game, and they can eat a hot dog and drink a soda and uh, afterwards stay and hear players' faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, People ask me, well, Donnie, do people really get saved at Faith Day? Well, let me just tell you this. Last year, a principal from Mills Junior High, Rancho Cordova, he came as an invitation. He got saved. I had lunch with him last week. He's a principal of a junior high school, but came to Christ last year, Faith Day. And so you never know who's going to show up after the game. But I know one thing, we get to share the gospel. If you can help us, do so. If you can't, I totally understand. I want you to open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. Would you do that? Just remain standing just for a moment. I just want to let you know, outside, if you would like to get, as long as they are available, a, your own facing giant shirt, you can lay hold of one wherever you can afford. As a matter of fact, anything I have out there, um, I, I never put a price tag. We ask for a donation. But if you can't afford that, whatever you can afford, this is a a series entitled The Call of Duty. These are all war messages from camp that I preached um, last camp. You guys remember that Call of Duty? 
I literally preached this one message called Wimp to Warrior, and the, the students began to beat on their chairs. Um, it was just wild. My wife, <laughs> these guys, they, they get going at camp, and they get me going, and I really, uh, I was preaching on um, David and Goliath the last night at camp, and they had a big thing of Goliath behind me, and I, I ripped a phone book, and I threw it at the giant, and then I, then I took a, a frying pan and rolled it up. Then I threw the frying pan at the giant. Then I took a license plate toward it, and then I threw it at the giant. And then I picked up the pulpit, and then I threw it at the giant. And, and um, <clears throat> my wife said, what did you throw the pulpit for? I said, I ran out of things to throw. And um, <laughs> some of you go, golly, he's nuts. But how many know we're screwed on the right bolt, so it doesn't matter. You know, uh, this one is a new one, and every young person, I will, I will give this to you tonight. I will sow this to you. It's called The Blessing of Refusal. It's a message. Uh, it's really a little booklet on sex. Uh, don't look at me like that. Most of you are here because of it. But this one, um, <laughs> this is, I talk about sexual purity and, and really, a, really a, a testimony and at the same time, just the truth of God's word. How many know when you say no to the visible, God releases the invisible, the blessing. And I, and I talk about this. This one here is a message on rejection, the fifth sparrow. So many people feel like they are a fifth sparrow. And I talk about what a fifth sparrow is according to scripture. And it's a really tremendous message. This one here is lastly a message I preach. This is my testimony. It's called fed up, filled up, and fired up. And um, it's a... It's a message that a lot of young people like to hear. And then, oh, yeah, this series, Real Talk to Youth, it's where I tell the story of the girl that came up to me and said, Donnie, my boyfriend said, unless I lose 10 pounds, he's going to break up with me. And I told her how to lose 160, dump him. So that is a, not right, girls? Huh? That's right. Amen. Some of them have heard that message. Luke chapter 15. Um, to me, when you go to a chapter like this, most of you already said in your mind, I know where he's going. I'm familiar with this story. It's called the, the story of the prodigal son. But I, I want you to notice in this chapter, there are lost things. We have a lost sheep. We have a lost coin. And we have a lost son. Interesting, lost sheep. Jesus, shepherd of the sheep. Go get the one. The coin, to me, represents the Holy Spirit. Clean the house. Turn the lamp on. Look. The Holy Spirit, the lost coin. I, I, and I believe then after you come to Jesus and have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, then you go into the dimension of understanding the Father. And a lot of people see this from the vantage point of the lost son but I want to look at it a little different tonight and, and talk about the heart of the Father. In Luke chapter 15, in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered, squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed 
pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And I could read on and talk about the older brother that was sour-faced, baptized in vinegar and mean-spirited. How many of you know you're glad, I'm glad, he ran into the father before he got to the brother? If he'd have ran into the brother first, he might have not have made it home. <laughs> so church folks can be mean, like real mean. And um, I want to talk to you about the father heart of God. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as a father myself, you know, I, I've learned a lot and my, my daughter that's 23 told me, dad, you're so easy on DJ, DJ 16, my boy, you're so easy on him. You made it hard on us. Now, parents that are here tonight with multiple children, you do a lot better with the younger ones. And the reason is, is, is because you realize that you make issues out of stuff. Help me out here. That really doesn't matter. And when you get down to the third one, it's like I told Brooke, I said, it's not that I'm easier. It's just stuff that doesn't really, there are things that not worth fighting. You learn that as a parent. I told her, hey, you were the first one. I didn't have a manual on how to do this. So, give me a good Pentecostal amen, some of you parents that are here tonight. It's not youth night. I want some, I'm trying to help you out. Some of you young people, you need to take it easy on mom and dad. They're doing the best they can. So, you know, I, I, I realized that, you know, it's like when you get old enough to kind of figure it out, your kids are practically grown. And that's why some of you are such good grandparents. It's true. Like, go and let the kid play. He'd be fine. He's all right. And, and children are so much fun because you learn so much from them. And, and they bring you great joy. When DJ... He was about three years old, and I was driving down the street, and he was in the back seat. He goes, Daddy, I want to go to McDonald's. I, I said, uh, we're not going to go to McDonald's. I want to go to McDonald's. We're not going to McDonald's. I want to go to McDonald's. I said, listen, you, you asked me to go to McDonald's one more time. I'm not going to take you for two months. And about two minutes in the car, just quiet, and all of a sudden I hear in the back seat, oh, McDonald had a farm. And I just pulled in. I had a Big Mac with him. I, I, he won. I, my, my daughter, Brooke, though, she, she's 23 now. But when she was like little, you didn't have to spank her. You could just look at her and say, don't do that anymore. She'd listen. But one night, she kept calling me in her room. After the fourth time, I said, don't call me in here anymore tonight. If you do, 
I'm going to have to spank you, Brooke. I don't want to spank you, but I'm going to spank you if you call me in here anymore tonight. So I went back. And I'm sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden I hear, Dad, Dad, when you come in to spank me, could you bring a glass of water? Okay. I went in and drank water with her. I nearly spanked her. Then Anna, Anna, man, she's, she's the athlete. She was just, she would throw stuff at the cat. And one day she was out back. I go, what are you doing throwing at the cat? I told you not to throw rocks at the cat. She looked at me. She goes, I'm not throwing rocks, Dad. I'm throwing bricks. I, and that poor little cat. You know those big wheels? She was riding in a circle in the garage with, in her big wheel. And I go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm taking the kitty for a ride. I'm looking for the cat. And I go over and pull her off the seat. And I open the seat, the little compartment, and the cat was in there like this. Oh, God, I felt so bad. That cat was never the same. But, but, but children, they, they bring us so much joy at the same time. They, they can bring us a lot of pain, a lot of prayer, huh? And, and parents, I think about this story because it's one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. This son had everything, but he says in verse 12, give me. And I wonder sometimes when, when we walk away from God, I think about how God feels. I wonder if I ever bring tears to his eyes. I wonder if his heart aches. But sometimes we're so caught up in our bondage that we forget that God has emotions. He made yours. Could could you imagine taking this boy aside and the boy is just playing catch with his father in the front yard, just throwing a baseball back and forth. And you pull the boy aside and say, listen, one day you're going to turn your back on your father. One day you're going to walk all over his emotions one day you're, you're going to walk out on him and treat him like he doesn't mean anything to you. That boy would say, you're crazy. I'll never do that to my father. I'll never do that. But verse 13, I mean, he just walks out. You know, in the, the wills of that day, the way they wrote him up is the older son, he would get two-thirds the younger would get one-third and the father what he would do is he would have written in there at the time of his death this is a rare story the father gives him his share one-third and the father hasn't passed yet he he gives it to him what was it that took the son away from this father was the attraction of the world did he want his freedom maybe it was his friends Maybe he just wanted to sow some wild oats. Or possibly maybe he didn't understand his father's love or his concern for him. If you don't have a right understanding of God, there's no way you'll appropriate or see the abundance of God's grace in your life. There's nothing more important in life, students, nothing more important than knowing God. Your concept of God will determine what kind of person you are. The enemy wants to keep us from coming to Father, giving our life to him, and he will cause you to keep your distance from God. How, Donnie? By distorting the image and the character of God through other people, circumstances, or past experience. The purpose of Jesus coming was to show us who God 
really is. You see, in the Old Testament, they saw parts of the character of God. But nobody could show us who God really was except Jesus. Jesus came to explain who God is. A lot of people, they have no problem responding to Jesus, but they're afraid of God. And some of the ways that people see God, irrelevant, not expressive, no feeling or emotion, looking for a way to punish me, threatening me with hell, some cosmic impersonal force, the Old Testament, God of wrath, the enemy will use verses to confirm your worst fears about God. There is not a name that accurately describes God more than Father. The word Father didn't originate with human beings. Man did not come up with it to describe God. Man wasn't sitting around one day and said, you know, I think we should call God Father. As a matter of fact, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to eternity. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And I love what Philip says. Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. We, we have seen you. Now, if you can just show us Father God, that will be the icing on the cake. And Jesus turns, he says, Philip, don't you know me? I've been with you such a long time. Is you and the disciples not understanding? Anyone that has seen me has seen the Father. Now, you look at that and I tonight, and you go, no big deal. But you got to understand, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus turned to them, and this is what he said. Our Father. Jesus came and used a term that was used in everyday family to address God. This shook the entire religious scene. In the NIV dictionary for the New Testament theology, there is nowhere an entire wealth of devotional literature produced by ancient Judaism do we find Father used in addressing God. Not just the Old Testament, but nowhere. Can you feel the impact of this? If you don't know what it's like to be increasing in the knowledge of God as your father, then you don't know why Jesus came. One in three teenagers live in a fatherless home. 63% of all youth suicide. 90% of all homeless and runaway children. 71% of all pregnant teenagers. 85% of all youth in prison come from a fatherless home. What do you think of when you hear the word father? Do you automatically think of protection, provision, warmth, and tenderness? Or does the word father paint a different kind of picture for you? You see, each person seems to have a different idea of what God is like because we tend to attach the feelings and impressions we have of our earthly father to the concept of our heavenly father. Our own experiences with human authority is usually transferred over how we relate to God. Good experiences bring us closer to know and to understand God, just as bad experiences create distorted pictures of our Father and His love for us. Luke 15, many people, they, 
they have misconceptions about God, especially when it comes to knowing him as Father. Our Heavenly Father is at this very moment being slandered, misrepresented all over the world by man's cruelty and man's selfishness. A young man walked up to me at camp after one of the services, about 16 years old, and he looked up at me and he said, my dad left two years ago. And my dad told me he was going to call me every day. And with tears just coursing down his cheeks, he said, I've been waiting for that phone call for two years. Uh, Another girl, you guys were there, she got up and she shared Friday morning about her at seven years old, remembering her father coming into the room and robbing her piggy bank so he could go out and buy drugs. You got to understand, you see, when you stand up before this generation of young people that I am reaching out to, and you say, your heavenly father loves you, you better back it up with more than just words. You see, I've been going in schools long enough now for 30 years, over 7 million students I've stood before. And I've never seen a time like the time in which we're living. People ask me all the time, aren't you getting too old to do schools? Are you kidding? It's not about me benching 500 pounds. That's not what it's about. It's not about rolling up frying pans, ripping phone books. It's about Lisa. Who's Lisa, Donnie? I'll tell you who Lisa is. Lisa last year rocked my world. Reno, Nevada, at the end of the second assembly, she sat on the bleachers. And I walked over. I said, are you doing okay? She said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. I sat down. She said, you know, I watched a man walk down a driveway and load boxes to the back of a car. And I knew when he left, he wasn't coming back. She said, that was my father. She said, he was big and he had brown hair. And, you know, I was watching it from the side when you walked into the gymnasium today. And when I heard you speak, she said, I sit here the whole assembly and I closed my eyes and I pretended that you were my father. I'm going to tell you, when we are in a world in which a 15-year-old teenage girl has to pretend a total stranger is her father, that's why I keep doing schools. Because literally, when they come up to the end of the assembly and they say, I wish you were my father, I don't have to say any longer why. I know why. Because many of them, they don't have a dad. And the thing I love about camp is that for a week, I get to ride around in golf carts, and they squirt me with squirt guns, and they sometimes throw water balloons at me. And, and, but I realize that when I'm out there watching them shoot baskets, like a mom told me at the end of camp the first week, she said, my son called home and said, Monday, you were throwing a football with him. Tuesday, you're riding him around in a golf cart. And Wednesday night, he was saved and filled with the Spirit. She said, what you don't know, Donnie, is that he has a father that says he's going to come and visit him. And I watched him sit outside with his ball glove in his hand, knowing that his dad's not going to come. Golly, that just shakes me to the very core of my being because they're out there by the thousand. Pastor Mark, Pastor Ben, thank you. And I'm not just saying this to patronize you guys. Thank you for caring. And thank you, church, for sending us. Because this church, every month, sends a check 
to say, Donnie, we believe what you're doing. Keep doing schools. You never know who's at a camp. You never know what God is going to use you to do to influence them. Hey, verse 12, give me my share. I don't know. Maybe he didn't trust his father, so he took control. The prodigal son got what he wanted, then he lost what he had. He sought freedom from his father only to come under the dependency and dominion of strangers in a pig pen. A lot of young people today are rebellious toward God because to them he's just another authority figure that's going to let them down. The way we perceive our earthly father will affect the way you perceive your heavenly father. I can remember when I was six years old living in Virginia, and my dad, he coached Little League Baseball, the 11 and 12-year-olds. And I was six, man. I'd go to practice with him, and I, I was six years old. And I'd be, the shin guards would be up to here, and the chest protector was hanging down there, and I was catching batting practice. And one day, my dad was hitting infield, and he was hitting balls to the outfielders, and a young man scooped a ball in the outfield, and he threw it in, and I laid out and dove and caught it. And my dad said, great catch. And I remember in my little mind, I thought, if I can do good in sports, I can get my dad's acceptance. I can get my dad's approval. I didn't start playing sports because I like sports. I played sports because I thought if I could do well, then my dad, my dad didn't do that on purpose. That was what was going on in my mind. And I know when I got saved, I just transferred that over to God. God, if I do enough, if I work hard enough, Somehow I can earn your acceptance, earn your love. Look at this, verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country. <laughs> he, he spent everything. How many know as long as you got money, people will pretty much tell you what you want to hear? No, nobody's telling these baseball players I'm ministering to the truth. See, I, the reason, listen to me, the reason I'm successful at ministering to them because I'm more impressed with God than I am any of them. When, when they called me and asked me to come and do a motivational talk for the Yankees, the guy on the phone, he said, Donnie, you realize who's in the room? Are you going to be intimidated by these players? And I just kind of cracked up on the phone. I, 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 I chuckled a little, and I, I said, no. He said, why? I said, because I realize there are two facts. One, there's a God. Two, he's not any of them. And the guy on the other side of the phone that was doing an interview with me to come and speak to New York Yankees said, I like that. <laughs> Severe famine, the whole country. And he began to be in need. Now, now think about this. A Jewish boy feeding pigs. Leviticus 17, you go through there and you look at some of the things that are detestable, like eating owls. I don't know about you, but I've never had a problem wanting to eat an owl. Maybe you have. That's not one of my battles. Is... But, but the detestable, the lowest of the low for a Jew in that day was to be near a pig. If you brushed up next to a pig, you're talking about ceremonial cleansing. You're talking about something that should not ever be done. And now you have in this passage, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now think about this for a moment. He's not just feeding pigs. 
But he's saying here in this passage, the pigs have more to eat than I. I mean, could it get any worse? Could it be any more bleak? I mean, here he is in this pig pen. And, and parents, I just want to say to you, for kids, your, your sons, your daughters that are away from the Lord, the worst thing you can do is go down there and hang some pictures and straighten up the pig pen. You, you can't clean it up. I'll show you why in just a moment. God's at work. Every time the temperature went down a degree, it was God saying, go home. Every pod, the, the pigs that he fed them, with every rumble of his stomach, with every hog that rubbed up against him, with every chill in the morning as he got up with no food, no coffee, and he had to go out there and feed. It was the finger of God saying, go home. Go home. The Bible says in Psalms 23 and verse 6, I want you to see this. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Follow everywhere in the Old Testament. Follow is translated in a negative sense as pursuit. Like dogs, hunting dogs, pursuing their prey. It means to relentlessly go after somebody. It's used of armies pursuing their enemy. But the one time in the Old Testament, it has a positive connotation. They give it the weakest translation. Follow. Surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me like hunting dogs. That's the way it should be interpreted and read. They come after me to help me to do good. Goodness, snapping at my heels, mercy, walling me in, turning me, moving me to God. Surely, goodness and mercy. The good shepherd has two hunting dogs, goodness and mercy, and they were relentlessly pursuing me to bring me to God. You think about all the religions of the world. New Testament Christianity stands alone. Every other religion in the world reaches up to God. Only Christianity, God reaches down. You can't compare Christianity to any other religion. All religions, hands reaching out to the unknown, clawing at the invisible, trying to do something somehow, some way, that's going to please their God. But only Christianity says, God, like a father, comes after you, pursuing you, wooing you, his goodness, his mercy. He lost everything, and famine came to the land. That famine was the goodness of God. (laughs) It was goodness Sometimes you look in your life and, and it's the goodness of God, the Bible says, that leads men to repentance. Verse 17, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and I'm starving to death. He came to his senses. He saw himself. 
He looked inward. That word inward is he did an inner journey and he began to, to examine repentance. Some people think it's doing something they don't want to do in order to pay off a debt. That's penance. You know, penance is nowhere in the Bible. Repentance is not feeling sorry. Oh, that's one part, but not the beginning. The word is what? Metanomia. Metanomia. What does that mean? It means to change your mind. Metanomia is to change your mind. He came to his senses. He had a change of mind. You know, C.S. Lewis, the great atheist that became the great Christian writer, he said this on his conversion day, I was the most reluctant sinner that became a Christian in all of London. He came to a place where he realized that Jesus was who he said he was, and so he had to do something. He changed his mind. See, most people, they don't get saved when they come forward at an altar. They get saved while you're preaching. They come forward to confirm what God has already done while the word's going forth. They had a change of mind, which causes a change in direction. Then comes brokenness. Then comes the tear. Thank God for all of that. And we thank God that we are sorry for our sin. But it starts with a change of mind. Ways that people come to God. I want to go to heaven. So, so they receive Christ. I don't want to go to hell. Well, how selfish. I, I heard that he heals. So I, I come and, and God heals me. And See, God doesn't care how you come. My wife saw in high school the omen, got scared, started searching. Some of you, you've come different ways. He came to his senses. And the Bible says, how many of my father's hired men had food to spare? It wasn't the love of his father that drew him home. It was his tummy. He was hungry. See, all of us come different ways. God knows how to deal with you. He knows how to reach you right where you're at. He knows how to speak your language. He's hungry. And this is what he said. He says, even my father's hired men, they have food to spare. And here I'm starving. Now watch this. Verse 18 and 19, he gets out a five-by-seven card. And he starts writing out his speech. He said, I will set out, I'll go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me out like one of your hired men. Hired men. Servants, they lived on the property. Servants ate on the property. Hired men in that day, they would go into town, and they would hire them seasonally. This is at the place this son has fallen. This is the degree where he's at. He says, make me one of your hired men. Hey, when I come home, I'll give you my phone number. 
And, and if you need some work, just call me. This is where he's coming from. He's at a place of, of absolute brokenness. See, faith cannot operate in an atmosphere of independence. I'm going to go a little further with this. The more you move toward independence, the more you distance yourself from God. Because you have to live by faith. And so faith never operates in a spirit of independence. Because your dependency is on God. That's why pastor, when he's up, he's confessing. He's confessing big vision. He's always confessing. Why? Because it's faith. You never stop living by faith. That's why you never arrive fully at your vision. Because once you arrive where you need to be, God stretches you a little more. Because your dependency has to be on him. So now we got this son. He's coming home and he's writing up his speech. In verse 20. The father saw the boy a long way off. (laughs) The father saw the boy a long way off. From the farmlands, you could see way to the horizon. Maybe there was a road that led from the farm to the distant country. But every time the father was farming, he was scanning with his eyes, ever looking. Oh, come on. You don't see somebody on the horizon away off unless you're looking for them. That father would, he would go out there and he would look. I wonder if that's him. Oh, that's, that's the mailman. He'd go back to his farming. He'd come out and he'd look again. Oh, that's just somebody delivering papers. But I better go feed that fattened calf. And he would feed that fattened calf. And every time he fed him, it was called a wheat fattened calf. He he would feed him with wheat, the best. And every time he'd feed him, he'd say, my boy, he's coming home. How many know the fattened calf didn't get fat overnight? He kept feeding his faith as he fed the fattened calf. And as he kept feeding the fattened calf, his faith would rise up and say, my boy is coming home. He would go into his bedroom and sit on his bed and take out his ball glove and he would hit it with his fist and say, listen, there's going to come a day when I'm going to be playing catch again with my son. He's coming home. How do you recognize somebody who's a long way off? What did he look like? He was dirty. He was tattered. But a long way off. The Bible says he was filled with compassion, the father. Because when he saw, maybe it was the way he walked. It was something in his gait the way he stood. Now, the father, he says it's him. And he begins to run. 
He's running. He's jumping over fences. He's running through fields. He's got to get to his son. That's the heart of God. Once someone turns toward him, he sees God starts to run. He's running. He's going after him. You know how come I know that our father is full of compassion? Because you see anger and bitterness, resentfulness, hatred doesn't run towards somebody that's hurting. Here is his son. His hair is matted. We don't know if it's been months or years, but the father runs and he falls. The Bible says falls on him. That word fall is the same word used in Acts chapter 11 when the Holy Spirit fell on them. I know typically in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls and we jerk and we got to do all. But sometimes the Holy Spirit falls on you and just gives you that hug of reassurance. I'm here. I love you. And the Bible says he kissed him. In your translation, it says he kissed him. The, the verb in the Greek is repeated. He, he kept kissing him over and over. He was celebrating. He kept kissing him. He, he, he was excited. He was holding him. He was kissing him. But he smelt like a pig. But he kept kissing him. His clothes were shredded. He was barefooted, but he kept kissing him, kept kissing him. And then the son, this is amazing to me. He starts giving his speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father stops him and he says, go get the best robe. Go get it. Now, why didn't that father say, listen, son, let's walk up here through the streets and through the village, and I'm going to take you up through the gates and get you in the house, and you take a good shower. And after you take a good shower, I'm going to take you over, and I am going to let you pick out a robe. And, and you can have any of those robes. The Bible says... He was afar off. The father ran to him. Come here, Matt. Would you come here, Matt? I don't know how far it was, but when the father said, go, go get my best robe. I don't know if it was behind a tree somewhere. I don't know if it was, he had to go behind a bush. But what the father did, what he said to him, and this is what I believe. He said, I don't want anybody else to see you like this. He said, I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to take and parade your sin. He said, he said let, me, let, me take my robe, let me put my robe of righteousness on you. You see, he, he took and put his robe on him. And he said, come on, son. Because you see, when they see me, they're not going to see you because I've covered you. God will never parade your sin. 
it, it, it drives me crazy. We have what we call revivals where people get up on microphones and they share all the details sorted of their past and their sin. We call that revival. People write books. And what they do is they talk about all the horrible things they've done in great detail and great length. And then the last chapter, they say, I got saved. That's not God. God doesn't want you parading your past. He doesn't want you to bring up all the things you keep bringing. He said, listen, I've forgiven you. I've accepted you. You are my child. I have covered you. You are loved. God, listen to me. He's not going to take you up through the streets and parade your sin in front of anybody. He said, listen, he said, I, this, is, this is between me and you. He said, nobody else has to see. He said, this, this, is, this is me and you. Thank you, Matt. You're awesome. Give, give Matt a hand. All right. I got a, just a couple of minutes. I got to kind of finish. Let me finish. Come, come on to the instruments, please. Would you? Would we talk. The Bible says in First John three one. I just read this last night. I, I jotted it down when I was up there in Pastor's office. So I, I want to give you this. I, I don't have it on PowerPoint. John three one. It says, "See what great love God has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God." Lavished. Interesting word. Lavished. 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 What great love God has lavished. Foreign kind of love. Is love. You think about a flower in the Antarctic Circle. It's a beautiful flower. And you stop and you say, what is that flower doing here? That belongs in the basin of the Amazon. That flower is out of place. That is a foreign kind of flower. That, that's what he's saying right there. He's saying that the love that God has lavished on you is foreign to us. Lavished. Foreign kind of love. Because our love, we love you if. We love you when. We love you because, because you're beautiful, Be because our hearts beat as one, because you're smart. I love you if, if you will do this for me. After our chapel last week, Josh Reddick and I were talking and I was ministering on God's unconditional love to our team. And this is what he said to me. He said, it's amazing from last year to this year, the way people have treated me. And I said, yes. It is true. I said, learn a great lesson. Success is for your pleasure. Failure is for your learning. What are we learning? Here's what we're learning. If I perform well, if I will do all the things that people want me to do, then they're going to love me. And if I don't perform to that level, I'm not so sure. He had five home runs in the last two days. I texted him last night. I said, by the way, all those if lovers are going to be back on the bandwagon this week. Lavished love. It's foreign to us. 
Why, why is it foreign to us? Because we don't understand that kind of love. I can go through the whole New Testament. Think about this. Jesus invited to a wedding. Two peasants. Their names are not even mentioned. But the worst thing that could possibly happen at a wedding in that day was to run out of wine. It was from the hill people considered a curse. Your marriage was doomed. If you ran out of wine at your wedding, so what does Jesus do? His first miracle, his introduction, he turns water into wine because of his lavish love. He just said, hey, I'll take care of this. That's God. When Jesus healed people, he said, listen, this is between me and you. You don't have to go tell everybody. People say, well, the reason they said that is time hadn't come. Really? I believe he healed them and he said, listen, I love you so much that I would pour out my healing, my love on you. This is between you and I. You don't have to go tell everybody. This is how individual God is, how much he cares. It's his lavish love. Hey, Peter, fisherman, I know that's your livelihood. Jesus gets in his boat and says, let's go fishing. And people say, wow, he, he, he looked at Jesus and he said, we, we, we fished all night. We caught nothing. Huh? Caught nothing. All night we fished. You know, Jesus, we fish at night. The water's cold. It's hot during the day. The fish swim down. We clean our nets during the day. That's what we do. You are a carpenter. And I might add, a preacher. But we're not preaching right now, Jesus. We're not building a house right now. But what does he say? Nevertheless. Now, that was a faith statement. Don't get me wrong. But I believe Peter also was covering himself. He said it real loud because all those people along the shore needed to hear him say nevertheless because if I'm backing out right now, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to laugh at me. But when he got out there and he threw the net down, what happened? So many fish. You know how I knew Peter really didn't make a declaration of faith that was as strong as a lot of my friends teach? Because Peter was surprised. Because if he knew it was totally faith and he believed God, bless God at your will, he wouldn't have been surprised. He knew but he got surprised. You know why? Because the boat was so full that they had to call for others because that was the lavish love of God. Peter's trade was fishing. Jesus said, you want fish? You want to be blessed? <laughs> lavish love. My, my little girl, when she was little, Anna, I said, Anna, how much you love me? I said, tell me how much you love me. Oh, daddy, I love you this much. I said, really? Really how much you love me? And she looked at me and she said, oh, daddy, I love you plenty too much. I love you plenty too much. You, you, ever, you ever poured some tea into a cup and it runs over into the salt, saucer? You, you ever? Plenty too much. God says, I love you plenty too much. Girls, when you, when you were little, you ever play that game? 
He loves me. He loves me not. Oh, he loves me. He loves me not. And you know what? You manipulate it. Because when you finish, it's going to be, he loves me. If it was God, he would play it this way. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He he loves me. It was a fixed deal. God fixed it. There's nothing you can do that will cause God to stop loving you because there was nothing you did that caused God to start loving you. (laughs) Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, your love, your love. Oh, God, millions of believers running around trying to do something to manipulate you into loving them. Oh, the love of God, it can't be earned. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it. God doesn't love you because you're somebody. You are somebody when you know you're loved. I love you plenty too much. Mm. What lies behind creation and everything else is Father. Not some abstract personal force, but Father. Not a principle, but a person. Not a book, although he's given us his book. The book is never to replace relationship with him. God wants to share all of life with you as Father. If there's one thing, understanding God as your Father brings the security. The Big Bang Theory doesn't bring a lot of security. Two planets coming together, bang! Like an atheist said to me recently, Donnie, it's all by accident. Wow, what a magnificent accident. That's like taking a a paint box and brushes and a canvas and throwing them in a washing machine and out comes the Mona Lisa. What a wonderful accident. Woo! The politician views you as a voter. Attorney views you as a client. A physician views you as a patient. Educational system views you as a student. The airlines views you as a passenger. A hotel calls you a guest. The bank calls you a depositor. The retailer calls you a shopper. The sports promoter calls you a fan. The people across the street, they call you neighbor. But Father God calls you his child. (laughs) All the love of God. The Father heart of God. You can't run from it. But as you run... His mercy, His goodness, it just keeps pursuing you. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, there's somebody here tonight. Say yes to Him. If you're here tonight and you're a prodigal son or daughter, you're away from Him tonight. You're not serving God. Oh, it doesn't have to be geographically in another place, but your heart is drifted. Your heart is drifted from God. Search your heart tonight. Let God bring you back. If your heart is wandered, come home. Father's waiting. 
As a matter of fact, he's pursuing. He's, he's coming after you, not with a sledgehammer or a lightning bolt, but with his love. Oh, tonight. Wave at me. How many are here tonight and you got a son or daughter that's away from God, that's a prodigal? Come on, wave at me tonight, some of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to pray for them tonight. Anybody here away from God and you're right now in your heart sitting here tonight and going, you know, Donnie, I, I'm, I'm not serving God. I, I've wandered. I need to come back to him tonight. Anybody like that? Would you, would you just wave at me? Yeah. A few folks just being honest, being honest. Would you give God permission to love you tonight? Before you leave here, would you just recognize that he's your father? Some of you that have had bad examples, some of you have never known your father. Some of you have had a dad that's told you all your life, you're never going to amount to anything. Your life is never really going to matter. There's no significance to you. Listen to me, your worth, your value, your significance and who you are is in God. And when you establish that in God, the withdrawal of human love can hurt you, but it'll never devastate you because it's God and what God thinks. He's your father. I, I want to say something. I have a word for somebody that's a widow here right now. Listen to me very carefully. You are of great concern to God. God has a special place in his heart for the widow. Some of you that are here right now, listen to me. They're without a dad. God has a special place. He's a father to the fatherless. Some of you that are in this room right now that have never had a dad, God has great concern for you. There is something about your life that is marked by God because those without a father, he's a fatherless individual that is here that is saying, Donnie, I don't have a dad, never known my dad, never even seen a picture of my dad. You have great significance to God. You are of great concern to Him. Stop right now and just say, with your hands slipped up, Father, you are my Father. And I know He'll provide spiritual fathers for you in this earth. I know, I thank God for mentorship. I thank God for those that have spoken to all of our lives. But God is your Father. You don't need to do another step. You don't need to leave or do anything else. Everybody stand. Come on. Everybody stand. Please, everybody. Just everybody.